The surprising birth of Jesus from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. I've told this story before, but I'll, uh, I'll tell it again. You might have heard the story of the, the chauffeur who had driven the chemistry professor to dozens of speaking engagements. He'd heard the same, the same speech, this, this driver heard the same speech many, many times. And so he said on the way to another engagement, Professor, I believe that I can give your speech. I've heard it so often, I reckon I can do a pretty good job. And the professor said, I'll bet you $50 you can't. And you're on, said the chauffeur. So he he stopped uh, the car and the two exchanged clothing. They came to the banquet, the chauffeur dressed in a tuxedo, sat at the head of the table and was introduced. He stood up and gave his speech exactly as the professor. There was a standing ovation when he was finished. The MC got up and said, you know, we are so fortunate to have such an illustrious fine resource with us tonight and since we have a little extra time, let's have a few Q&A questions and answers. So the question was asked and the chauffeur stood there dumbfounded, clearing his throat because he, was, he didn't know the answer. But he got himself together and he finally said, that's about the dumbest question I ever heard. In fact, it's so dumb, I bet that even my chauffeur could answer it. Now, One of the privileges I had grown up in Paraguay and going back to my childhood and and all of that, this cross-cultural upbringing between Paraguayan and Ukrainian and and all of that, uh, is that I got to hear a lot of the stories from my grandparents, my uncles and aunts and all of that about what life was like in the early years, the let's call it the colonial days, the first settlers and all of that, when they migrated and they settled and they grew up in a farm and all of that. I did hear their stories time and again because there were similarities about their stories and it all meshed in together. And even though I knew the story, I still wanted to ask it again. Tell me that story again of how you and aunt met and what it was like with with Grandpa and and all of that. Tell me the the story again. And I think that's part of what it's like at Christmas, that we have heard the Christmas story. Like the chauffeur, I bet that we can tell it to other people. And you can even come up to the front here and and give a, a decent sermon, probably better than me, about what it's like, what the Christmas story is all about. You could preach about the unexpected pregnancy. You could talk about Joseph's perplexity. You could talk about the visit by the angels and the the trip to Bethlehem, born in a stable. We've heard it many times. But I agree with what C.S. Lewis who said, we don't need to be told new ideas so much as we need to be reminded of old truths. 
And that's it, isn't it? Because if you have a heart for God, you want to hear its story again. Tell me again the story of how you met. Tell me again of how you, you came to Christ. Tell me again how, how life was tough in the early days. Some of these first century people were utterly amazed at the events that transpired. Some. But for a lot of them, it's just sort of ho-hum. It just happened. They had been anticipating the coming of the Messiah for thousands of years. They had an idea of how it was supposed to happen, but it was, it was their idea was different to God's. They had this idea of how he was going to come and liberate them and it was all going to be good once he came, but it didn't happen as they expected it. As a matter of fact, probably nothing that the average Jewish person thought would happen actually did. And we just can't blame the Jews for this. If we were there, it probably would have been the same thing. So if you were there that first Christmas, there would be some surprises. Oh, I didn't expect that. Hmm, really? That type of reaction. So here are some surprising things about the birth of Jesus. First of all, the surprising choice of parents. Suppose you were an angel and God gave you the job of selecting the parents for the Messiah. If we are honest, we would have to admit that probably you wouldn't have chosen Mary and Joseph. After the long interview process, I say, nah, I'm sure they're better qualified. We would have selected wealthy parents so that Jesus could have the best of everything. Would have selected parents who were mature. So we would have been sure of the appropriate child protection issues and care and all of that. The parents we would have selected would have had good education and wisdom, would have been people of culture, poise, influence in society, so that the Messiah would have the right education, be trained in the right manners, he wouldn't be an embarrassment, and we would have selected parents whose marriage was stable, whose morality would never be questioned by others in the community. Look around at the people who make an impact on the world. There are exceptions, but usually they come from the wealthy, the influential people of society. The aristocracy. Oh yes, there is an aristocracy, if you haven't noticed. When the wise men came to Jerusalem, what did they do? When they came searching for the Messiah, where did they go? They went immediately to the palace. That, that's where the king's supposed to be born. That was a normal response, an obvious place to look. After all, royalty begets royalty. A normal king is not born in thin air. There's a bloodline, a royal line that is strictly respected and there is orders, there is protocols and all of that type of stuff that needs to happen. Yet God selected 
two unlikely people, a teenage girl named Mary and a blue-collar worker, a tradie named Joseph. Joseph was a carpenter, not a bad trade. My dad was a carpenter. A few carpenters in our church. Joseph was a carpenter in a particularly uncultured town of Nazareth. Nazareth, not known for its greatness. Do you remember what one of Jesus' disciples, he wasn't all that impressed with Jesus when he was first introduced or spoken about him and he says one of his disciples said that when he was first told by, by Philip about Jesus, he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a bit like saying, can anything good come out of Liverpool? Really? No. Not on your life. North Shore, that type of thing, French's Forest maybe. Liverpool? Come on. See, God uses ordinary people. God is a master, absolute master at using the unlikely. He's an expert at turning the ordinary into the extraordinary because these people aren't full of themselves. They have room for God. Time and time again in Scripture we see God's power manifested in the lives of, of someone who on the outside, this not all that impressive, but on the inside has submitted, is humble and surrendered to his will completely so much that God, I can do something with them. That's why God used Mary and Joseph. That's the kind of people they were. And after Mary was visited by the angel, she said, may it be as you have spoken. And Matthew writes that Joseph was a righteous man, a righteous man. We might be surprised at the selection of Mary and Joseph, but they are just the kind of people that actually God can work through. Secondly, the timing was surprising. The timing was surprising. Verse 1. Now, if, if we were in charge of the whole timing of when Jesus would come into, break into history, we would not have chosen the time of Caesar Augustus. We might have chosen the time when King David was powerful, when the borders of Israel were huge. They conquered everything in their time. They were very powerful, maybe even Solomon. A time when the Jews became the world's superpower. They had momentum, wealth, influence, opportunity. Or maybe we could have chosen the 21st century with air travel, mass communication, social media, space and satellites and television. We really could put on a show. The Big Bang. Everywhere. A huge event. You build it up. You know how they do it. It's happening. This century would have been a pretty good time for Jesus to come for the first time. His message would almost instantaneously be, instantaneously be heard around the world. His miracles, his miracles followed by a camera crew everywhere and then put on Facebook and, you know, selfies there with Jesus and all that type of stuff. 
you just imagine, right? Media personalities that will be Oprah interviewing Jesus in front of the opera house. Millions will be converted. Raise the dead, please. Lazarus at the tomb with all the cameras focused in there. And there's Lazarus coming from the tomb. Man, that'll be something. They don't do shows like that anymore. Time magazine, Jesus, man of the year, four years in a row. But God came to dwell in first century Palestine. In Galatians 4.4 we read, when the time had fully come. That just about sums it up, doesn't it? When the time was right, when the timing was perfect, when it was due, when God decided, that's when he came. It wasn't a time that I would have expected or planned, but all events perfectly synchronised by God, picking out the perfect time in history, the gospel message spread through the most powerful empire of the time, the Roman Empire, and the rest of the world. The message spread like wildfire. And Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, in Colossians 1.23, this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see, God is in control and his plan has been and is being carried out. Augustus, the emperor Augustus, one of the most powerful that ever lived, thought that it was his idea when he ordered that, hey, let's have a census so we can just check on how much tax we're collecting from everybody just to make sure from all the conquest territory we've got bills to pay and all this, so we need to collect taxes. So what are we going to do? We're going to do a census just to keep a list on how many people we are and how much tax is due. Now Augustus thought it was his idea. He wakes up one morning, let's have a census. Let's have a census then. Who put that thought in his head? God. God did. Everything happened as God planned. Isaiah 14.24 says, The Lord Almighty says, Surely as I have planned, so it will be, and as I have purpose, so it will stand. You thought, No, mate, I'm the king of the world here. I'm standing standing in front of Titanic and I'm the king of the world. I'll decide what I want to do. I'm going to decide my destiny. I'm going to do everything. It doesn't work like that. You're coming up against God with that attitude. Surely as I have planned, you think you're in the process of electing leaders and kings and queens and, and, and all of that, your presidents and prime ministers and all that. God says, surely as I have planned, so it will be, as I have purposed. What God said always has, is and will come to pass. Thirdly, 
the location was surprising. For his birth, we probably would have chosen a more powerful, influential city like Jerusalem, Rome, Athens was still pretty big at the time, Alexandria was the seat of all knowledge, Northern Africa. Bethlehem was just so puny, so small, insignificant, that even when when Joshua started conquering the, the promised land, that he, um, after he allotted the, the tribes, their towns and places that were going to settle, the, the various tribes, Bethlehem is not even mentioned. It doesn't appear there. It's the old cover matter, you know. Where's that? But the prophet Micah, 700 years before Christ, 700 years before Christ, he said this in Micah 5.2, But you, Bethlehem, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. And he nails it. Even names the town. Yeah, yeah, that's just a just a fluke. No, it's there. It's there. Mike, Micah proclaimed that the Messiah would would come from Bethlehem, but a week before Christ's birth, Mary was still in Nazareth. She was still in Levi, eighty miles from Bethlehem. Okay. How on earth are we going to travel 120 kilometres with a pregnant woman? Right? No taxis. No ambulance transport. Nothing. 80 miles away. Gee, God could organise this a little bit better. Don't you care about this woman? What is the old H&S and and care for the, the patient and all that type of stuff? I don't think. No, no. Doctor says, no, can't let you travel. And in that day where they walked, everywhere they went, long way, expectant mothers, near full term, can't get on a flight these days. Can you imagine on the back of a donkey? Gee, this baby's going to come on time, I can tell. God was in control. Even the suspension on that donkey was upgraded, I reckon. Petters. Caesar Augustus ordered this census to be taken and the census required that he had to go to the city. It's quite inconvenient, I know. The family roots and, and he had to go there. There was no choice. You can't go and protest and everything else. Now, what the emperor said had to be done. So Mary and Joseph made this journey to Bethlehem. Not only was Jesus born in this insignificant little town, that wasn't bad enough. There was no room in the inn, no motels. All these outsiders, holiday time, occupying all the beach suburbs, 
Ga en get accommodation. Should have booked early. You're busy. So he was born in a stable. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Creator of the heavens and the earth and the universe, to whom the angels bow, to whom the stars respond. All of that. All of that. And, and, and born in this stingy, stinking little stable in a manger. And even then, even when the innkeeper turned Mary and Joseph away, it also revealed the plan of God. It also revealed. Because no place, no place, even the stinking little stable with the poo smell and everything else is despicable as long as Jesus is there. Even the slums that you people don't dare to walk through and go, the missionaries go there. They are a holy place because God sends his people there to proclaim the gospel. Even the, the, the places where people don't dare to tread become holy places because Jesus is there. And one of the most popular Christmas hymns is Oh, little town of Bethlehem. I, I, yesterday I shared about uh, Philip Brooks, who, Pastor Philip Brooks, who wrote it. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. How many other Bible towns do we sing about today, 2,000 years later? Apart from Jerusalem, you know, there's really not that many other choices. We sing about Bethlehem. No place, no person is insignificant as long as the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords is there. And the thing that makes any church significant is not the programs, it's not the number of people, it's not even the professionalism, the show that you put on and everything else. You ask the question, is Jesus there? Is Jesus there? Fourthly, a surprising way. I mean, we are talking about God's son being born to a virgin. Almighty God coming down to earth, living with man. It's not something that happens every day, only once in history. Big news. Yet listen to how the scriptures in Luke chapter 2 verse 7, verse, chapter two verse seven describes it. He says, The time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth. That's it. That's also ordinary. We want to know how much you weighed, how many hours, you know, the waters broke and all of that. So we want to know the details, you know, the, the pains and all of that. How many hours in labour? The time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth. That's it. It all seems so ordinary, so, you know, so human, really. It's like, you know, somebody interviewing and asking a dad, oh, how was it? So your wife gave birth? Yeah, she had a baby. Oh, it's a, it's a boy, by the way. Can we say that? It's a boy or a girl? Yes, it's a boy. It's a baby. That's it. It's not, it's not complicated. 
And there are billions of babies born in the same way. And somebody said this about the event. They said, those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it, not because of evil acts or malice. No, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. In other words, they weren't expecting it. They weren't anticipating it. An extraordinary child in an ordinary place to an ordinary couple in an ordinary way and yet it's totally extraordinary. One time the Pharisees uh, told Jesus to do something dramatic to prove that he was the Son of God. And much in the same way that skeptics today say, well, yeah, all this Jesus stuff, you know, heard it all before, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. How can you prove that he was the Son of God? And Jesus said that the only sign that they would receive would be the sign of Jonah. Jonah, thrown from the ship, swallowed by the whale, and he spent three days inside the belly of a whale, spat out. What Jesus was talking about here was his death, burial, resurrection, the sign of Jonah. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ was not enough, if the gospel is not going to convince them of who he was, then neither would a dramatic sign from heaven convince them. It's all done with mirrors. Seen it all before. You know why? Because ultimately the condition of the heart dictates what we see with our eyes. The condition of the heart. And tragically, things haven't change too much as our society still craves for the dramatic, for the sensational. Multimedia has only reinforced this hunger for the sensational. So people are uh, idioting themselves driving at 300 kilometres an hour on a motorbike down the freeway. And that's exciting. But if little old Paul Mossadjuk drives a trail bike on a farm you know, that, that just doesn't cut it. It's not going to do it, is it? It has to be a bang. It has to be... So we're going to have fireworks. We're going to spend $10 million. Just blow it all up in the harbour. We want some excitement. Then it all just dies down. You can't live your life from one excitement to the next. Can't do it. The more we crave the sensational, the dramatic, the more we will miss out on God's working in our lives in ordinary ways. So, is the sign of Jonah enough? Far too many people today think no, it's not enough. But for believers, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful, so compelling. Try as you may, you cannot dismiss it. You are confronted by it. For many who do believe, it is enough to empower them, to motivate them, to lift them up from despair, from the bad results at the, uh, the doctor from a wayward child, from struggling marriage,
from economic collapse, whatever it might be, if we didn't have Jesus, where would we be? Lastly, surprising guests. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Luke chapter 2 verse 8. Following the theme of the whole thing, the shepherds weren't the most influential people of the day. As a matter of fact, they were the lower, lower class. They were usually migrants who ate, slept with animals and no doubt smelt like them. If you saw a shepherd walking down the street, you'd go to the other side of the footpath so you can avoid them. They kept their distance. People rolled their eyes. Kept, they, they, you know, no, you didn't want your daughter to marry a shepherd. No future in that. If you were running a PR department and, and we had to arrange to, to send the angel somewhere to make this grand announcement of the birth of Jesus, I probably would have chosen for the biggest impact the great theologians of the day, the Sanhedrin, the public plaza, somewhere where the, the Roman emperors do their you know, victory parades and all of that, something like Hitler put up, you know, Second World War, that that would be the place to make the announcement. Let them know. And that night, the great announcement came to shepherds. Wow. Shepherds. The most amazing choir that ears could ever hear is wasted on shepherds going to record this. Put it on YouTube. Shepherds. If, if this means anything to you, you have to get this, that it is a symbol of God's grace, God's acceptance of all. The simple people, the uncomplicated ones, the salt of the earth type of human beings. They're not showy. They just live about their ordinary lives and yet God cares enough for them that he says, I'm going to reveal something extraordinary to you guys. I know you've had a rough time. You know, nothing much changes at Shepherds. You know, just ho-hum type of life. Nothing much. Employment opportunities. That's it. And yes, the angels appear. Huge choir. It's the uh, the Northern Lights, which hopefully we will see had nothing on this. The angels appeared, and and somebody said, "Unto the lowest, God gave His highest. Unto the neglected, God gave His attention. Unto the poor, God gave His riches." John three sixteen. For God so loved the world gave his one and only son, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And while the shepherds illustrate the great truth that there was no room for Jesus 
and the inn. There is plenty of room at the manger. Maybe there's no room in the palace, but there is room at the manger for all people who are humble enough to come in, to hang out, to listen, to worship, to adore, to get their lives right. 33 years later, at the foot of the cross, same thing, despised, rejected, suffering saviour. There he was, he stood tall, hanging on the cross. At the bottom of the cross, however, it's all level. We all need God's grace, all the same. We all need Jesus, who died for us, who gave his life, and came back as a conquering king, and he's coming again. May God bless you. May we have a wonderful Christmas. Amen.